Hello and welcome to this King Hero interview. My name is Beth Martins. Today I'm absolutely thrilled to have Jeff Berwick here with me today. I'm interviewing him. I believe he is in uh, in Acapulco. Is that correct, Jeff? That's right. In Mexico. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so I've been a fan of your work for I don't know. Uh, I think going on a year now. I believe it was James True is my entry point into checking into the Dolly Vigilante and. I watch your videos on a religious basis now watching the economy as things roll. Um, I'm a money coach myself, so I have an interest in the way things go on the outside world with, with money, although I'm not an expert in that, so that's why I'm looking to you. Um, Jeff is the creator of a conference called Anarchapoco, which I already have my, my ticket to. We're going to be talking about that. And I just overall have really appreciated, Jeff, the way that you don't stand for the status quo, that you question everything, that you are a freedom fighter. And uh, so I'm going to pass it over to you and just uh, let you take it from here in terms of introducing yourself, saying what you're up to. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm basically, I call myself an anarcho-capitalist, a freedom fighter against mankind's two biggest enemies, the state and the central bank. And uh, I run something called the Dollar Vigilante, which is a financial newsletter, which is based on anarcho-capitalism and Austrian economics, which is all basically free market stuff for people who don't understand what those words are. And I also host a show called Anarchast, uh, which is about anarchism and voluntarism. And just in case anyone doesn't know what the word anarchism means, because it gets a lot of uh, bad press on purpose, mm -hmm. because the, the powers that be don't want you to know what it means. All it means is, and it's a Greek word, and without archi ruler. So I just believe that no one should have a ruler and no one should be a slave. And of course, uh, when government's involved, that's, that's exactly what they are as rulers. And I don't believe that they're legitimate. I hear you. Yeah, I'm a, a born rebel myself. My first word was no. And from a very young age, I realized that things didn't make any sense whatsoever. I just had a visit to the bank that didn't make any sense at all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I was reflecting just on the word anarchy itself. I had a boyfriend with a mohawk when I was in my younger years. And, uh, you know, that's a very different take. You're, you're coming at it from a really highly educated place where you're not just railing against the machine, you're actually extremely aware of it and, uh, and wise and knowledgeable and then, and then just standing up and going no. And I think you're a, a model for people to, you know, because people want to say no, but they're afraid to. But here your life is running and it appears to be going very nicely. And so you're a great example for others. What was it in the first place that inspired you to get into this? I consider you a, a, a true king hero in my world, by the way. Well, thank you. Uh, I should say about the punk rock uh, anarchists back in like the 70s and 80s, and they, they're still around. Uh, it was, you know, quite a movement and they called themselves anarchists and they, they generally were. They, they basically were saying this system sucks and we want to tear it all down, which is cool, but uh, the, the more the angle that a lot of us are coming at uh, now is that uh, we can re make better systems than these these oppressive systems, and that's why I call myself a narco-capitalist. So there's, there's hundreds of thousands or millions of us now, and we're out there actually creating new systems that just make the governmental system obsolete. So rather than wanting to burn down uh, the government buildings, burn down the central banks, uh, that's actually kind of pointless because it's not those buildings, it's not even those people that are there that are actually 
uh, if you get rid of them, they'll just be they'll just build, put up new buildings and, and put in new people. Unless we can uh, sort of really get across to people how nefarious and how just downright evil the system is, and when enough people realize that, then this whole system will just absolutely go away. Um, so I think your question was, how did I kind of get into this? Is that correct? I kind of got a, a off yeah. Path yeah. What was the turning point for you that where you weren't oh. doing this to, to to that you took this on as a as a life and a profession? Oh uh, yeah. Um, well, I, I was when I was younger, like 12, 13, I was very confused about the world. And I was like, why is there all these problems? Why are there all these wars? Why is there all this poverty? Why is there constant fighting all the time? Uh, all these things. And I actually uh, looked into the political system very, very briefly. And I was in Canada at the time, and I uh, actually signed up, I, I'm embarrassed to say now, for the Conservative Party of Canada, because I looked at the two parties that they have there, just like in the U.S. There's actually three or four in Canada, but there's two main ones. And uh, I said, well, those left people are really crazy. <laughs> they're like, oh, you got to give everything for free. And uh, it's like they don't even know where they're actually getting the stuff to give away for free, which is actually all just being stolen. So I'm like, well, that's crazy. These right people seem a little bit better. I'm going to go with those guys. And within a, a month or so of seeing the political system, I was like, well, this isn't the answer. <laughs> and I was just basically out of it from there. And I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm a computer nerd. I'm a bit entrepreneurial. I'm going to just do my thing and start up companies and just go with it until I can figure out what's actually going on. So I started an internet company in the 90s, and it actually ended up being worth hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in the 90s. And then with the tech bubble crash in 2001, uh, it actually almost went to zero. And that was a bit of a shocker. And I was like, what happened? And I asked a lot of people and most people just didn't know. Uh, the, the average response from your, some of the smartest people, uh, people who went to school, <laughs> which it doesn't mean you're smart at all, uh, is uh, they, they would just say, well, uh, that just happens sometimes. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't just happen. There has to be a reason. And uh, so I, well, actually my partner who actually tried to commit suicide because our company went from hundreds of millions to almost zero overnight. I uh, jumped out of an eight story building of a building. He actually survived. Uh, a few months oh later, he came over on, on crutches. Uh, they, they nailed all his bones back together and he's on crutches and he was a bit of a wreck. And uh, he had a big book with him and he handed it to me and he said, read this. And it was the creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin. And which essentially describes how the central banking scam works, which is like things like the Federal Reserve. And uh, it also describes why these booms and busts and these crashes happen. It's all caused by the central bank. So I was like, whoa, this is uh, information I was looking for. This is real information. And I just went down the rabbit hole from there. I ended up uh, buying a sailboat, trying to sail around the world because I wanted to see the entire world with my own eyes because I knew what I was seeing on the television programming was not, not real information, not the, the, the truth about what's going on. And so I, I got a sailboat and I was trying to sail around the world. I actually sank it in El Salvador about actually one year to the date after I bought it in a storm. Uh, I bought a backpack after that and I decided just to live out of that backpack for a number of years. Uh, I, I'm kind of a minimalist anyway, but I was like, okay, this feels really good to have nothing. Uh, I, I'm not tied down by anything. Uh, and I, I decided, okay, I'm going to just try to see as much of the world as possible. So I did. And I went on to about 100 countries over about five, six, seven years. And I, I made a movie in China with Jackie Chan along the way and all kinds of crazy things, things that happen when you actually just live very free and spontaneously and aren't tied down by what everyone says you should be doing and, and the fear about it and things like that. 
but along the way, the whole time I was reading, and I was reading about libertarianism, anarcho-capitalism, about Austrian economics, which is just free market economics, and how the market would actually work without governments and central banks, and it'd be so much better. And I was actually in a chat group, uh, an Austrian uh, economics chat group on Yahoo, and I, we were all saying, okay, this, there's going to be a, a major uh, housing crisis here around 2007, 2008. And we all knew it was going to happen. It was like pretty much as clear as day was going to happen because we understand how these things work. And when it happened, I was like, okay, I understand a lot of how this thing works now. And I need to tell people. So it was in 2009, I came up for, with the idea for the Dollar Vigilante and we launched in 2010. And the tagline was surviving and prospering during and after the dollar collapse. And I said, uh, this whole financial monetary system should be basically collapsing by the end of this decade. And we're only about four months away from that now, but it's actually just begun. It's just starting to collapse now and people won't believe how fast this starts to happen. It'll definitely be over the next year or two that this whole system, it just becomes such a unbelievable chaos and crisis that, that most people won't even believe it. Uh, and so I, I started that in 2010 and I also started my uh, uh, show Anarchast in 2011 because I really realized that hardly anyone really understood what free markets or anarchism or voluntarism is. And voluntarism just means that you believe that all interactions between humans should be voluntary. It's very peaceful. It's actually all these sort of things are very similar to even what like Jesus said, that Jesus had the golden rule, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. That's very similar. And then Jesus was an anarchist as an example. Uh, he didn't believe in these government systems or even the churches or anything like that. He believed in the individual and, and, and that sort of a thing. And so uh, I started that in 2011, and it was very, very small, and it led to starting up Anarchapoco, which is now the world's largest freedom conference in the world, the largest anarcho-capitalist and voluntarist conference. Uh, we're expecting 3,000 people in 2020. Uh, and so I, I've just been doing that, and it's, um, it's just been, <laughs> it's like basically nonstop work since about 2010. Wow. Incredible stories, actually. That's amazing. So many big turning points that, uh, that you've followed. Do you have a sense of it being your purpose on this planet, the work that you're doing right now? Do you, do you, do you think about purpose? Is that what you're following or are you, you just uh, hitting the breadcrumbs and going to the next thing? How do you see it? Yeah, I, I kind of do. And um, mm -hmm. even when I started my internet company, it was called stockhouse.com. It's still the largest financial website in Canada. And it did very well. And a big reason was because of the philosophy behind it. And this is before I knew about anarchism or libertarianism or any of that, or even Austrian economics. But I recognized that the entire uh, stock market and the financial system was all heavily controlled by a very small group of individuals. And so our site was, I think, the first site in the world to start up message boards for stocks. And so it seems like pretty minor today, but at the time it was a big deal. And it really threw a, you know, so many people went onto it because, oh, wow, we, we actually have ability now to get information we can never get before through ourselves. So everyone would be sharing information and things like that. In fact, when we tried to go public in Canada, in 1998, uh, they wouldn't let us go public because having stock message boards were so scandalous and such a big um, <laughs> sort of a, to them, it was like, well, this is very, very dangerous stuff, what you're doing, that they wouldn't even let us go public. So even back then, I've, I've always kind of been of the mind to try to help as many people as possible and try to get, I've always recognized that the world is controlled by a very small amount of people. And a lot of the, the other people, the billions and billions of other people are just getting constantly crushed by these people. They're being impoverished, they're being stolen from, they're being lied to. 
And it's always been sort of a thing of mine to try to help those people to, to uh, get access to the information they need to understand the systems and actually to, to get rid of uh, this sort of highly centralized sort of world that we have today. And uh, so when I started the Dollar Vigilante, it felt definitely right. It was, it was sort of like, okay, this is, and this is something that I always say to people, especially if you're entrepreneurial, is if you're going to do something, do something you're really passionate about. Because if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to get up every day excited to do it. You're not going to, uh, you know, if, if you just have a store and you sell, name, name an item, you sell hammers, and you don't really care about hammers, you're, you're just, why are you even doing it? You do whatever you're super passionate about. And after finding out about all the things I found out about since 2000, I was super passionate that I needed to help to uh, sort of enlighten the world, tell people about how all the system really works. And in that sense, if we can tell enough people, we, hopefully we can essentially make the system go away. Mm, amazing. Yes, you nailed it with the King Hero once again, that it's the desire to help others because, you know, as an entrepreneur, you can do a lot of things that might uh, be easier, less controversial, uh, less uphill, but where there's that desire to help people, that's where you, your passion and your work actually line up and, uh, and, it, and it fuels you in that, in that really beautiful way. Now, one of the things that I've noticed, I was, I was born and raised by a king hero who really broke out of normal life to start his own business and uh, do something unusual and take a lot of risk and go through a lot of stress. And uh, I've said this many times if you're, if you're following my king hero interviews, but my dad was diagnosed, for, since you don't know, Jeff, uh, more than 20 times with cancer in his lifetime. It was so stressful. You know, he was looking after my mom and us kids and uh, a whole raft of high-end clients with very high expectations and he's paying the bank and he's paying the government and uh, you know got his employees to look after sometimes employees would get a paycheck before he did and so that stress can be really killer now i'm a stand for being there for for those king heroes that when they crash if those kings crash that they can have a, a way to get through it and past it. I, I myself am a, a cancer survivor. I also was in that position falling down like that. How do you handle the stress of your life? I have to imagine, like, it's so big. You've got the conference, you've got like how many businesses on the go, you've got a lot of people to manage. I was even so excited to get a personal email back from you. <laughs> how do you handle the stress of it? Uh, well, not well uh, years ago. Um, but after doing these things for so many years, it's almost become like uh, easy <laughs> because, you know, even my childhood was not an easy childhood. Uh, you know, I don't think I was raped or anything, but like I was just beaten up every day and I sent to the mm. government indoctrination camps to get beaten up and mm. uh, lived in Northern Canada where it was minus 40 most of the year. And so I'd have to walk to school in the minus 40, get beat up, come home, no one's there, make my own food, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So I'm not, not like, I'm not trying to make anyone feel sorry for me or anything, but that was my my childhood and then uh, when I started my company it did really well and then it crashed and that was that was super hard uh, to, right. have to lay off 200 people just overnight it was just like the wow. uh, a switch flipped and I went from oh this guy is like going to be the next Jeff Bezos and all this kind of stuff which I was you know I'm, I don't really care I'm not huge on the ego like that but, but that's what people were saying to uh, we have to shut the business basically down and almost we I basically saved it it was very hard it was incredibly uh, stressful and traumatic and I don't think I actually fully got over it until um, actually just a couple years ago uh, but I didn't realize it but it was that sort of hard and then 
um, I started the Dollar Vigilante and, you know, just the, the sort of things we're saying, especially back then in 2010 was so extreme and there was so much hate and everyone's like, this guy's crazy. Uh, now that people don't really see me that way because everything I've been saying has been coming true, but uh, that was hard. Uh, and then even just doing like podcasts and stuff, I was never comfortable on camera, uh, but after doing it thousands of times now, I'm, I'm just kind of used to it. Uh, and then I actually started a, a business uh, just stupidly in, in hindsight in Chile, uh, sort of a, a real estate project, uh, sort of like a libertarian real estate project, and uh, ended up stupidly partnering with someone who turned out to be total fraud. Uh, we actually figured out he's probably CIA now, and he destroyed the business. And so pe a lot of people lost money, although we're winning it back in court in Chile now. This has been going on for like six years. <laughs> so all that actually led me to the point where um, about three years ago, I was pretty suicidal. I was pretty depressed. And mm. uh, you know, like I think everything happens for a reason and all these things uh, forced me to actually have to uh, deal with myself and actually heal myself uh, from all the trauma, whether it's from my childhood or whatever. Long process of I started with psychedelics like ayahuasca and even a boga and a lot of other therapies. I, hypnotherapy helped a lot. It was super hard and it took years. Uh, but now, I'm at a point where actually you, you've mentioned like, aren't you stressed? It's like, no, I'm totally fine. Like I, I've, I've learned how to deal with all this stuff so much and I've been through so much that I don't think anything can really phase me anymore. And I've also in the process of learning how to heal myself, which is an ongoing process that'll probably never end, but I've done a lot of it over the last few years. I've also learned how to um, physically heal myself. Uh, and so now I have more energy than I've had in decades because of all the health stuff I do. Uh, and then I've got the, the mental all good. I still have a hypnotherapist, sort of like a life coach that I talk to quite regularly uh, because I think it's very necessary. Uh, and then all the other things that I'm doing as well. So uh, at this moment in time, now things can change. Uh, I feel totally fine and comfortable and ready to take on any sort of challenge because uh, all the things that I've done uh, to sort of rebuild myself in the last few years. That's amazing. Wow. Wow. The story just gets deeper and deeper. It's a, it's a brave thing because that's where the a king can really fall down. So they're adept. They can, they're, they've, they've got power. They go out into the world. They can conquer the outside world, but that inner world can represent a major obstacle. And from my experience, you can only grow so much in, in that masculine that you're talking about uh, by by really you know doing the inner work, going in, healing the traumas, and uh, and ultimately growing that that fit feminine is is what it is. Not that you become effeminate by any means. I'm actually totally you know not down with that side of society. How you know what men and women are not equal, but they are two sides of the the same coin. The way that the masculine and feminine archetype are that they work together so beautifully. Mm. And your life is an amazing uh, illustration of having done that. So cheers and, and good on you. It makes you a great example for others to follow. Uh, do you, have you done any kind of mentorship at all? Like you're, you're in such a great position to do that if you ever decide to. You mean like mentor other people? Yeah. I try to do what I can in certain ways, but I don't, I don't really look at that as something I'm looking for, like to mentor somebody or anything. I try to help whoever I work with in any way I can, but 
Uh, talking about the masculine and feminine, though, that, that's something I learned a ton about. Actually, like I've had really a kind of a spiritual awakening in the last few years. I knew nothing about any of this stuff uh, two or three years ago when I was super depressed. I started doing some psychedelics and it started to open my mind a little bit. And, you know, just reading tons of books, even like Osho, I just love his books so much. Uh, they're, they're so amazing. And talking about all this stuff, I had no idea. And you're totally right. It actually, what it, what it was, the thing that was uh, my biggest issue was that uh, I assumed that to be a man, you could never ask for help, you could never uh, show weakness, you could never cry, all these sort of things. And I was totally wrong on that. <laughs> and and uh, I sort of discovered that, uh, you know, you have to also, uh, you know, open your heart a lot, a lot of love stuff, which is a lot more of the feminine side. Uh, and it's all super important. So if you're just one side, you're, you're not going to do very well. Uh, you have to... Uh, use both both the masculine and feminine that we all have within us and have them in balance as well. So this is all stuff that I've just learned in the last few years. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So good. Yeah, that's interesting how you know men have really been trained not to get into their feelings, but neither can a true king be like sobbing on the floor and weeping on Facebook that like, I feel like, um, I feel terrible or I feel like killing myself or, you know, you, you can't get out. Once you've taken responsibility as a leader, you can no longer get out and cry the blues like that. So it's great to hear that you use the resources in the back end because that's exactly what I would, I would recommend that you have like a whole team of people helping to be there for you so that you can be there for your whole kingdom. Yeah, I'm kind of uncomfortable using the word king. <laughs> to be a king is sort of like a politician or a ruler, right? Uh, but uh, I understand what you're kind of saying, like a leader in some respects. And uh, and yeah, I've really realized you need an entire support system as well. And so that's a big part of why I almost uh, hit rock bottom there a few years ago, because I wouldn't ask for help. In fact, my, my, my first ayahuasca experience was torture absolute torture for hours and hours and i got nothing out of it except for torture it seemed like i was in a box and i couldn't get out and it was just pitch black the entire time and uh fi I, I started fighting with ayahuasca and i'm like let me out of here i don't know what this is i don't want any part of this you're a scam i'm yelling at ayahuasca and i finally got so exhausted it felt like i passed out and right as i did all of a sudden this voice came in and it was the most angelic voice it wasn't even really a sound it was more like a feeling but it sounded like an angelic voice and all it said was let others help you and and right then i was totally sober i got up i was in monterey mexico in some house doing ayahuasca got up, went to the airport, flew home. And I was like, that was weird. And I didn't think anything of it. And it was actually a couple months later, I, I started drinking a lot again. I was depressed. And uh, my wife looked at me really sad. And uh, she said, what's becoming of you? Like you, you used to be like, you know, world, take on the world. And now you're just in here drinking all day, drinking wine and moping around and lying in bed. And I, I felt the same way as her, but I was like, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what's going on. And I had this idea and I said, it just popped into my head and I went, and it, it seemed like the, the most, like, uh, biggest question I could ever ask her, like, if she could do this, like, wow, that'd be so amazing. And all I said was, you know, I'm not really an alcoholic. I don't need the alcohol, but I'm so depressed that this just makes me feel a little bit better. So, um, you know, I don't kill myself. And, and uh, I said, can we just, I'm not going to go to the store to buy alcohol. I don't want it that much, but if I see it there, I'm just going to drink it because I'm so depressed. And I said, can we just take all the alcohol out of the house? And she just looked at me like, 
oh, finally, you're asking for some help. Uh, basically, is the look she gave me. And, and right then, I looked at her, and she looked at me, and I was like, oh. And the whole universe exploded. It was like, whoa. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. She's going to say it. She's going to say it. And she goes, let others help you. And I was like, oh, my God. That's what ayahuasca was trying to tell me. I, I don't ask for help. And uh, since then, I asked for a lot of help. So I've got, you know, my whole family, my wife, I've got good friends, I've got therapists. So if I do have issues, I ask for help right away now, but I didn't do that for my entire life. Mm, incredible. Yeah, the more responsibility you take on, the more support you need. So that's, that's a beautiful thing. And for me, King is, is really archetype. It's not about getting out and telling people what to do. Yeah, and and, and frankly, yeah. no, and, and uh, the truly awakened King is a servant of the people, not, not a ruler over the people. So that's where I'm coming that from. That sounds fine, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What's your take on what's happening with men and women these days? There's, you know, the gender wars are getting bigger. I grew up a feminist and, uh, you know, it's actually been really recently in the last couple of years, I've woken up to how much I was pretending not to hate men in the patriarchy, thinking that the patriarchy was really to blame for everything that's going on wrong in this planet. Um, you know, hoping men would be more like women, actually criticizing them for being not such good women. And, and then having this awakening, realizing like, it's not, it's not a, a, a man problem, it's a psychopath problem, that the rulers on this planet are the, the you know, if there's any blame there. And so I've been on a trail for really healing my inner masculine and my relationship with men in general and feel a whole ton of respect I never felt before. I have a whole new appreciation for my father who's passed away, unfortunately, but this is my redemption project to support strong men. What do you see happening between men and women? What can you, what can you say that will help men see women and women see men so that this war doesn't have to perpetuate in the same way? Well, it's actually all being done on purpose. This is all a design. It was actually started by the Rockefellers in the 1930s. They actually started a lot of the feminine, fem, feminist movement. And a big part of it is destroying families. So the people at the top, the people who control the world right now, and hopefully for not too much longer, they want to destroy people as much as possible. And so they, they tax them, they um, make them have permission for everything. You need permission to drive. You need permission to have a car. You need permission to travel, all that kind of stuff. That's what they love. And they also just want to destroy people. They hate people. I think it was even Prince Charles who said, uh, who's involved, you know, fairly high in the top there, uh, that uh, said that, I hope I come back as a virus and kill all the, all the humans. Like they hate humans they're, for whatever reason. They're, they're sociopaths, psychopaths, possibly demonically possessed. I don't know, uh, but they're not good people. And they, they just hate people. And uh, so a big part of their plan was to destroy the family. And they've done a really good job of that. In fact, the welfare system is a big part of that as well. Uh, a lot of people might think, oh, welfare is good. It helps people in need. It's actually it destroys uh, people uh, because uh, if, you, if you can just get, uh, you know, whatever you need, and this is where this whole, uh, what they call it, universal basic income now, <laughs> they're going to try to destroy everyone here, uh, is like, for example, when I was like 16, I remember, or 18 even, yeah, it was after I was out of the indoctrination camps and um, I lost a job and I was on unemployment insurance. So I was getting $500, $600 a month, which was a lot at the time back in the 80s. And uh, so I just sat there and ate pizza and played video games. And if that check never stopped coming, I'd probably still be there eating pizza and playing video games. It's just sort of human nature. 
but that check did stop after a while. And so I had to go out there and improve myself and learn how to offer skills or, or a value to people and learn skills and things like that. So welfare destroys people, it destroys families. So does uh, a lot of the things they're doing with this feminism stuff. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I live down here in Mexico most of the time, and it's still quite normal in Mexico. They haven't, they haven't, the propaganda in the U.S., the amount of control and cultural sort of uh, conditioning that is done and brainwashing in places like the U.S. particularly uh, is unbelievable. So down here in Mexico, things are still pretty normal. Uh, a man is normally still a man. A woman is normally still a woman. They act like that. <laughs> and, you know, that's fairly no normal and natural. But they've been trying to uh, change that in society, especially in the U.S. now for decades. So you even look at the pop stars now. They're all, the, you know, the guys look like girls. The girls look like guys. This is all on purpose. And the whole feminist movement was for that as well. And the whole point is, is there's a number of points to it. It's to destroy people, destroy families. It's also uh, to reduce the world population because, uh, you know, the more effeminate guys can be and uh, the more masculine girls are, there's going to be a lot less babies because, and you even just look at how this is all changing uh, so many things. You've been hearing about guys now. They're like, I'm, I'm going to, uh, there's words for it. I think M-G-T-O-W or something. And, and they're like, I'm never going to have a girlfriend or a wife. Uh, I'm out of it <laughs> because they're all so crazy now. Uh, and a lot of them are, but not everywhere in the world. That's why I actually prefer not to even go to the U.S. It's the, it's the world's craziest place as George Carlin said uh, when you're born you get a ticket to the carnival and if you're born in the U.S. you get a front row seat and uh, the circus or whatever it is and um, yeah this is all done on purpose so uh, you know when you talk about masculine and feminine and all that uh, that's all essentially done on purpose and uh, you know the, the whole feminist movement and all this they want a war they, they want constant war they want us constantly battling each other and so it's either black versus white or man versus woman or rich versus poor because as long as they can keep us all fighting, then people won't realize who the real enemy is. And that's the people who control this whole system. So that's uh, a big part of what they do is just try to uh, separate and divide us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it works really well. It, and it works at the level of the psyche where I thought I was having original thoughts about that. That when I said women should take over the world, I'm all proud of that thing, thinking I invented this idea. It's like, no. And now you can see it, you know, a decade after I've been saying that, how it's escalated and it's become almost clichéic now to be out there saying this kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm uh, adept at emotional release and program release and belief release. That's what I help my clients do as well as build businesses and up level and that kind of thing. And I noticed how there's literally not a program that I can't let go of that proves to me that it wasn't original thought. It was, it was an implant that, that was being put in there. And then I'm also proud of it saying, yeah, I, I had this thought. It's like, no, that was, that was planned. Yeah, people don't realize how programmed they are. And of course, when you are brainwashed or programmed, you don't know you are. That's the whole point of it all. And, exactly. Uh, and that's been like what meditations helped me so much is figuring out what's actually who I really am and what I really think and what's actually just been programmed in there. And I still think this process is going to take years or decades more, or maybe it never ends, to, to actually root them all out. Uh, people don't realize it's That's why it's called television programming. It's, it's mind control. It's programming. It's actually done at certain 
hertz to put you into a trance state. And then when you go on things like CNN and all that, they got all the flashing lights and the terror alerts. That's to put you into a fear state. So you're in a trance and in fear. And then they program things into you. That's why Donald Trump always constantly is doing the hypnotic trigger, the 666 sign, because it's hypnosis. All these guys actually know hypnosis. And, uh, and so we've been brainwashed. And then 12 years of government indoctrination camps. This is not about education. This is about programming you. Uh, this is why anyone with a kid should get their kids out of government schools immediately, <laughs> uh, not to mention how bad it is in other ways, but it's, it's you're being programmed. Uh, the entire school system in the West is from the Prussian system, uh, which was designed to make factory workers and soldiers. And that's exactly what it's still designed to do. That's why when that buzzer goes off, it's sort of like a Pavlovian thing. They want you, you sit down, you, you have to ask to go to the washroom, you have to be a slave. Uh, then a buzzer goes off at 10 o'clock and you have to go to your next class to, to get indoctrinated and brainwashed into, into what they want you to do. And by the end of it, and is, you know, kids want to learn, actually humans want to learn. But by end of 12 years, most people are just like drinking and doing drugs and, and like wanting to kill themselves. And this happens a lot more and more now uh, because they're just so destroyed by the entire system. So yeah, these, these uh, systems are all designed uh, to uh, hypnotize, uh, program, brainwash people. And every single person, unless you've been living in the forest your entire life, you've never saw TV, you've never listened to radio, you've never seen a billboard, you've never uh, gone to any sort of event uh, where they have the national anthem, which is all programming, the flags, which is all hypnotic. Uh, you, every single person in the world, unless you've been living in the forest, and there's a few, uh, but not many, uh, have actually been programmed. You have no idea how many of the things you think aren't actually what you really think. It's actually just been programmed in you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's frightening. That's why you need that some kind of system to prove to yourself what's you and what's mm -hmm. not you, and that you don't have to identify with stuff. And the, you know, we was talking with another author about this yesterday, the, the rampant self-hatred where I posted the other day about how, you know, less and less people are choosing to have babies, as you mentioned, with, you know, men are just writing off the whole process. And uh, there's, there was a big backlash against this post, about half and half, and, and lots of different reasons to, to uh, lash out at me about it. But a lot of it was like, we are uh, parasites on this earth, we're a humans are a danger to this earth. <laughs> uh, we don't deserve to to live and reproduce. We've got to, you know, save the earth. Which is like, what's your what's your take on that nonsense? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it's total nonsense. Uh, there was yeah. a comedian who had a great line on it. Who was it? Was it Carlin? Yeah, I think it was Carlin. Uh, Carlin's great. And for people out there that haven't watched George Carlin, he passed away a few years ago, but he was amazing. Uh, He's basically just talking about like how moronic and idiotic it is to put your whole focus on saving the world and getting rid of humans. It's like, uh, you know, first of all, this whole global, everything is all planned. It's all a program. And you know, you, you know, James true. So he talks a lot about all this stuff and that's why I really liked his new book. And that's why I invited him to Arcapoca because he's sort of really put it together really well. Uh, but the whole global warming thing, that's all to make people feel like we are parasites, that we're destroying the earth. We're not. Uh, now, of course, the pollution, lots of problems that humans cause, but we're not. Uh, destroying the earth completely. Now, we're definitely polluting and all that kind of stuff, but that stuff can be fixed or, or we can, you know, there's lots of uh, things that we can do about that. But uh, the fact that they actually made the global warming thing, uh, CO2, 
uh, is hilarious. And I, I know that these guys, these guys are actually hilarious at, at the top level. They're, they're funny, but they're evil as, as, <laughs> as can be. But they're funny. They're like, okay, we're taxing everyone. We're taking everything from them. They have to ask permission for anything they want to do. They're complete and total slaves. Yet in the place like the land of the free, they, they think they're free. They're like, what else can we possibly do to these slaves to like take even more from them? And I'm sure one guy went, why don't we tax them on the air they breathe out of their mouth? <laughs> and then they're like, yeah, and then we'll put it in our media, which they control, and the schools, and make sure all the little kids at a very young age know that global warming is a very serious issue, and tell them all that, yeah, uh, the air you breathe out of your mouth is destroying the world, so we're going to tax you on it, and we're also going to basically tell you, don't have any kids because you're destroying the world, and you're a plague and a parasite on this earth, which is actually what the people at the top believe, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but it's all been programmed. It, it's unbelievable. I was telling my 12-year-old exactly about that because I'd heard you say that, uh, get, you know, guess what? They found a way to tax the air we breathe out of our mouths. <laughs> He's like, uh-huh. He's heard me and people cheer a lot about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The funny thing is uh, I'm from Canada and it's like minus 40 half the, half the year where I'm from. And there's a lot of people yeah. who are like, we've got to stop this global warming. I'm like, you can't even go outside without dying. It's so cold. What are you talking about? Like that's the programming. It's and that's exactly. what I like say. Why don't you get really mad at people? You know when they're talking all this stupid stuff. I'm like, it's not them. They're they're programmed robots. <laughs> that that like why would I get mad at like a programmed robot? Like mm. like the, I I just try to figure out ways to. Uh, break them out of the spell that they're under but to actually get mad at them or upset it's like pointless it's like getting upset at your vacuum cleaner right on where in canada were you from by the way i'm here in winnipeg manitoba oh winterpeg so you know yeah. very well i'm i'm yeah. from the only place i th I actually call w winterpeg the only place worse than where i'm from i'm from uh edmonton <laughs> edmonton alberta Oh yeah, oh, I love Edmonton. It's a great city, <laughs> great people. That's awesome. Yes, yeah, so we have about the same uh, experience or had the same experience here in Acapulco now. Um, yeah, much yeah, warmer. Yeah, no, it's 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 really. This is actually really my next question because when you allow yourself to open your eyes and stop running with blinders on, that's what I did. I was sort of forced. I had a client show up in my world that had been through horrendous experiences and uh, you know with satanic ritual abuse and trafficking and all the sort of like the worst things in life that it's easy not to look at because there's so much suffering related with it. And I, that was my turn to, to go down the rabbit hole and allow myself to see what the world is really uh, not made of, but you know, what's ruling this earth. Why are we in so much trouble? Why is uh, everything upside down? Why does nothing make sense? And then there's a period where you actually, you know, you feel like, is there anything worth doing? If I was to think about having a child now, I might say no, because I know too much about the, the state of the world. And so, you know, what do you recommend to people? You just sort of answered it, but what do you recommend to people to stay out of despair? Because as soon as you're in despair, they won, right? Like what's, what's, your, what's your means? You talked about not being hard on people. That's really great. Like not hating them because they're not awoke to this stuff. Um, but, but how do you keep yourself high energy as you are? Uh, well, you know, I've always been kind of like, like, I don't worry about anything my whole life, like really, like, it's just like, I'm like, ah, whatever happens, happens sort of thing. <laughs> That's just the way I've always been. Uh, but uh, in the last few years with all the work I've done on myself, I've, I've started to realize that 
there's really nothing external that can really make me all that happy uh, that I can't do internally. Uh, and there's also nothing external that can make me all that unhappy that I can't also do to myself. Mm. So I think by uh, taking control of yourself and and learning how to uh, not let the outside external world affect you too much, because it really it's 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 so much less. Uh, of a thing that what you actually have inside when you go into the meditation when you start doing the self work you can find levels of happiness and joy that you could never find from say a drug like ecstasy or uh, anything external um, so that's sort of where I'm at um, I kind of look at life as a big um, TV show uh, a big movie uh, in some ways, I think it is. In some ways, I think it is sort of like a, a 3D video game. And I don't want to go into, because I don't know uh, who created the game. Obviously, someone called the creator. Uh, you could call that God. You could call it the universe or whatever. But something created this. I don't know who. Uh, and we're in it. And we obviously don't know why we're in it. So that's part of the game. And uh, I just look at it that way. So, you know, I, I talk about a lot of the stuff that's so horrible and crazy in the world. You know, we have genocide in Yemen. We have... Uh, wars, uh, military, uh, terrorism all over the place in the Middle East, Syria and uh, Libya, and it's all the U.S. and Israeli governments and all this kind of stuff. And then so many people are impoverished by the system. They're stolen from, they're destroyed in the schools. If you just look at that, it looks pretty bad. But I'm, I don't have to... You know, like I can see that, I can see it's bad and I can do things that can change that. But do I necessarily have to feel bad today about that? Do I have to be depressed because of that? That's actually a choice. And I've basically gotten to the point where I can look at it all. I can go, that's horrible. We need to stop that. And <laughs> I'm going to work on ways to stop that immediately. Uh, but I'm not going to be depressed. It's like, why be depressed? If I was depressed, then I couldn't do anything to change this world. So that's generally where I'm at. I know it, it, it sounds easy. It's not, <laughs> but uh, that's where I've got the point I've gotten to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's easy to be positive when you're not looking at the terrible stuff, but when you can see it, you gain a whole different kind of fortitude. Now I have way more strength, way more inner resolve, way more inner trust. And, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll admit there, there's lots of up and down. I'm still vulnerable to programming. I think everybody, everybody, if you live in this world and you have to navigate in it, then there's a vulnerability. But um, I just keep coming back to that place of, of uh, having faith in the creator that that's stronger than anything that uh, has been created, including the evil forces in the world. So I, I walk in faith with that. Yeah, like, you know, another way to look at the world that I, the way I look at it is if everything was perfect, if this was basically heaven, uh, and you never knew anything bad. There was never anything bad. It was always perfect. It's just love and peace and happiness. You wouldn't even know it's love or peace or happiness because that's the the importance of duality in, in the 3D world is if you just live in love and peace and happiness, you wouldn't know it's love and peace and happiness because you wouldn't know because you, you have to compare it to something else. So I think to some extent, for whatever reason in this world, you have to have the bad as well as the good. And, you know, it seems kind of unfortunate. But at the same time, you know, as you pointed out, as you realize these things and as you become more powerful in realizing it and knowing how to even change these things, uh, it's a really amazing experience, a uh, very educational sort of experience. It's, you know, like if I were to look at my life, if I were to die right now and it was shown as a movie somewhere, it'd be a pretty amazing movie. It'd be like ups and downs and all kinds of stuff. Like, wow, like, you know, I, I definitely uh, had a great movie of my life. Um, 
And so I just, I just don't worry too much. Um, you know, this, this has been a lot of the stuff I've been meditating on lately is about uh, like, what should I really be, should I ever be unhappy or worried about anything? And I'm kind of like, no, <laughs> like, I, like it's kind of a choice. And, and, and so why even like, I, I see it all as part of some sort of game or some sort of plan, you know, like even when some very religious people who Bible believing people and all that kind of stuff might go, Oh, he, he just said life's a 3d video game. He doesn't believe in the Bible. You can explain the Bible in terms of it's a 3d video game. Like whoever the creator was, is, you know, it's called the creator of a video game, creator of the earth, the creator of the universe, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they created this and there must be a reason. And uh, so to me, it's, and you know, I'm, I've never actually been scared to die. And I think a big part of it is my life sucked so much <laughs> that I was looking forward to it a lot. But I, I just never, uh, I've still to this day, like if you told me for sure tomorrow you're going to die, I don't know if I'd change a lot. I probably wouldn't do this interview because I'd be like, okay, I should spend a bit more time with my family and stuff. But I, I'd be totally you pretty much fine with it. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, I should spend, you know, I got a few hours here. I should, you know, tell the kids a few, of the, how much I love them and all that stuff. So I'd have time with the dogs and all that. But uh, it, like, I actually knew a uh, emergency room nurse once. And she told me, you can tell how someone has lived by how they die. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, some people, because you're in the emergency room, there's, there's points where people know they're going to die. Like it's about 10 seconds away or a minute away. And she says, some of them scream and cry like you wouldn't believe. And you can tell those people never did what they really wanted to do in life because they're, they're so distraught. And there's other people who are completely at peace. And you can kind of tell that they did the things that they wanted to do in their life and they're happy to go now. So I'm kind of in the happy to go now camp, no matter what happens at this point, like whatever happens, happens. I enjoy what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. If I wasn't, I wouldn't do it. Uh, but I don't, I don't really tie myself to the, the conclusion of it all. I just uh, look at it as all experience and just do my best and, and live my passion and, uh, and see where it all goes. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Such good points. Um, I'd just like to go back to a little bit. Look, you said that it was everything was peace and love on, on this planet, which is one of those hidden agendas that's going on too. That's a, such a big lie, but that's not the journey of, of life. This is the subject of the book that I'm writing right now. I just finished this, the first draft of it, but, uh, the, the hero's journey, right? It, you, you cannot avoid the betrayal of, of going through conflict and hardship and having to overcome things. It's like raising a child. You can't protect them from that because that is the makings of life. It's getting to the other side of those trials that sets you up to actually be uh, serving others and being really powerfully related to others in the world in a, in a, uh, you know, in a, a meaningful way. Uh, and when you talk about the fear of death, like I, I'm a cancer survivor. I was told I wasn't going to survive after fighting for my life for three years in a row. And, I, and then I'm face to face going, okay, I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to die. And I don't know if it's this week or this year or even 10 years from now or whatever it could have been. And there's something that happens when you face that, whether, you know, even having a, a partner, like you said, going through suicide, being close to other people that are losing their life. I, I, I've now um, put both my parents to rest. And it gives you a different take on life that makes you brave like you are, Jeff, to get out and say these kind of things that go against the norm to withstand attack. And, and this, is my, this is actually my hope that if enough people can learn to let go of their fear of dying, which is insidious, like there's many deep layers of it, then, then humans are uncontrollable. 
then they, they can no longer tell us what to do because we're, we're just not afraid of the worst thing that could be done to us. Yeah, fear is how they control almost everybody. So um, even look at the U.S., like every couple of weeks, it's like Iran's going to attack, China's going to attack, Russia's going to attack. Oh, now it's the swine flu. Now it's Ebola. Now it's the measles. I couldn't believe the measles one. That was funny. Uh, but but it's just exactly. constant, constant, constant fear. Uh, to, and it actually keeps people in a low vibrational state, uh, which makes them easy to uh, keep enslaved, easy to control. Uh, and... Uh, makes it easy for them to do all the things that they want to do. It just keeps the world in a, a lower vibrational state. Um, so yeah, the, the more that people, you, you hear this all the time, like someone, I, even when I sank my sailboat, my, uh, my girlfriend at the time was on the boat. Uh, and uh, when we got, when we got to the shore and she was really scared, I was, I was just kind of like, enjoying the moment sort of thing that's just kind of how i am and uh it was there was some scary moments though we were trying to kick off the boat we we're in a storm and we kept hitting the bottom we were trying to come into a bay and uh the boat just started breaking apart and uh like one uh, propane tank just whizzed by my head at one point i was like i was close <laughs> i was like we should get away from this boat and uh she's like i don't want to go in the water and i put her on a surfboard and because she was so scared of the water and uh, I, I kick off with her and the wave came in and threw us back into the boat and we both hit the boat and there was two stanchions and they were both on either side of me. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I need to concentrate here. I don't really care about me, but if I, if she gets killed because of me, this is horrible. I need to concentrate and make sure we get away from this boat. So I looked at the wave. I looked once, twice, as soon as it hit, I started kicking as fast as I could, and I actually kicked until my legs seized up. I, like I'd never had that feeling before, but I got us away from the boat. Once we were away from the boat, we were pretty much fine. We were only a few miles offshore. I could just swim in from that point, and actually some uh, nice people came out and saved us uh, at that point. But when we got to the shore, um, I said, uh, she said to me, you know what? That was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I said, why? And she said, I thought I was going to die. And when I thought I was going to die, I thought about all the stupid little things I worry about. And she said, I now know not to worry about those stupid little things because I, I have kind of like a second life here. Uh, and I told her, I said, you know what? This is the best I ever felt in my life either. And she said, why? And well, I was like, first of all, I'm full of adrenaline. That was quite a rush. But uh, secondly, I lost everything. And uh, all my all my material items, and I feel so free. Like, do I like where do I even go now? I have no home. <laughs> I was living on the boat. I have no no things. Like, do I go left? Do I go right? I'm like, this is like a brand new adventure. I was like, this is like the best I've ever felt. So, you know, a lot of people when they 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 hear about oh you sunk your sailboat or whatever, it must have been horrendous or the worst experience of your life. For the both of us, it was the best experience ever. And I've found that with a lot of things, that a lot of the things that people worry their entire lives about, and it's like, well, what if my house burns down? You know, what if my house burns down? And then their house burns down, they're like, actually, this feels pretty good. <laughs> there's some there's some positives to this, you know. Um, so that's the thing with life. It's very uh, funny that way. Mm -hmm. Amazing stories. So many amazing stories. This has been a huge pleasure. Uh, I think the last question I'd love to ask every single king hero that I interview is like, what there's a lot of women out there say giving men advice what they should do now i want to hear what do men actually need from us what does what does a strong leader king archetype need from people in order to maintain their strength because that's the hope for humanity as far as i can tell 
Oh, um, <laughs> well, I would say that most guys out there are so screwed up and most girls are too. And so everyone needs to work on themselves a lot. And uh, that's really where it starts. Every single problem that guys have with girls and girls have with guys, it's all problems they have with themselves that are, they're just kind of like mirroring with the other person. Um, I will say for myself personally that I've read, I've been still reading it. It's called uh, The Way of the Superior Man. Uh, it really enlightened me a lot on the male-female dynamic and how the, when it works together, it's like unbelievably amazing. And when it doesn't, it's unbelievably horrible. And um, and I didn't fully realize a lot of it. So for the guys out there, I would definitely recommend reading this book. It, every chapter is about two pages. So it's an easy read. It's nothing hard. And it, and it really, yeah, it's just really, uh, information like I was like whoa every time I every chapter I read I'm like I never knew that I never understood that's how it worked it's like you know she, when your wife's yelling at you it's not it's for reasons that are different than what you think and when you yell back at her she doesn't want you to do that she wants to see how you react to it and she's you know like this is how the male female dynamics supposed to work and it makes total sense and I've actually incorporated a lot of that into my life with my wife in the last few months and it's changed so much uh, we were pretty good before but now it's just unbelievable because I understand how this dynamic is supposed to work now as for the women out there um you know, I, I don't really know. I'm not a woman. I, I can't give advice on how to be. Uh, for me, per, in, in, in my own preferences when it comes to women is that uh, that they are quite feminine, uh, <laughs> that they are. I love smart women. Those are my favorite kind of women. I like strong women. That's uh, I'm actually describing my wife right now. She's one of the strongest and smartest women I've ever met. But that's me personally. Every guy is different. I don't know. So I really can't give advice to women out there uh, because I don't. I'm not one and I don't really know <laughs> what it's like to even be one. Uh, I can only give you advice for the guys out there. And, and I would say, start with that book. What about a short list of, again, what, what, what could, you know, if, if women are looking for ways, okay, how do we actually support a man? Is it, do, do they need respect? Do they need, do they need acknowledgement? Do they need to like hear that they're doing a good job? Do they, you know, what, what do you think? What, what would really... I might be a bad person to ask because I don't really need anything in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoken like a true king hero. There you go. Yeah, like <laughs> as long as the house isn't a big wreck and it's not chaos and she's not screaming at me all the time. Uh, like for me, as a as the way I feel is it's my role to support her and the family. Um, and I actually don't expect anything in return. I get love in return. I definitely do. But I, even if I didn't, I, I don't think I'd really care all that much. Amazing. Amazing. So good. So where do people find your work? How do they follow up with you if they want to jump in on some of your financial books and advice? Sure. Yeah. If you're into the uh, financial stuff. definitely talk about the conference too. So yeah. Yeah. If you're into financial stuff, check out the Dollar Vigilante, dollarvigilante.com or Dollar Vigilante on YouTube. We put out a video almost every day. If you're into freedom related stuff, check out my podcast, Anarchast. It's on YouTube, A-N-A-R-C-H-A-S-T. And if you really are into freedom stuff and you want to see it in action with about 3,000 people on the beach in Mexico every year, with some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, uh, you brought up that you kind of found out about me through James True, I think. Uh, yeah. There's so many people. We had David Icke last year. Uh, we haven't even announced the speakers for next year, but I know who they are, and people won't believe it. And everyone who comes, 
uh, every single person, I'm, I'm not just saying this, has told me it's a life-changing experience, experience. Because not only do we have all this freedom stuff and how to like free yourself, free your world, uh, become more financially free, more um, uh, health-free, more spiritually free, everything. Uh, but we also have a whole health and wellness part of the event. So if you've got any sort of, you want to learn about a lot of stuff, I've been talking about meditation or even try ayahuasca. We do that at Anarchapoco. Uh, we do almost everything. So it's, it's a real experience of whatever you want really and uh, I, I just recommend obviously I, I have a reason to do that but I, it's, it is the, one of the most amazing things I've ever been to uh, and uh, everyone says it, it changes their lives so if you're interested in that it's February 13th to 16th of 2020 uh, at com. and I have my ticket when I heard that James Chu was going to be on the on the lineup I, I bought it hands down and, uh, seeing last year's lineup was amazing I trust you it's going to be equally so this year uh, so thank you very much to those watching. If you're interested in doing for yourself to get to the bottom of your own journey, either to find your purpose, to uh, be valued for your purpose in the, in the way of entrepreneurialism and business, or also to survive your purpose. If you've been through things or you're trying to avoid the crash and you want to uh, be able to actually go through that with some grace and keep your relationships and your health intact in the process, then you can visit my website, bethmartins.com, and do a King Hero Archetype quiz. If you're more of a mermaid than you are a King Hero, there's also a Merpreneur's version of the Archetype quiz to find out where you are on the path of purpose. And uh, if you're also interested, I'm pre-selling my book now that it's the first draft is finished, and I'm selling it along with an Archetype study group so people can gather together every couple of weeks to create community around deepening into their purpose on this planet so you can be part of solutions rather than uh, the problem that's happening. So once again, thank you very much, Jeff. This has been a super enjoyable conversation. I absolutely loved it and uh, look forward to seeing you in, in, in uh, Acapulco. Thank you. Peace. Okay, my pleasure. Bye for now. Everything. It takes a lot of love.